When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Generations of excellence since 1888. Well, hello once again. My name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bower and O'Dave, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. Uh, my guest is someone who has done uh, things extraordinarily well for a, quite a long period of time. I almost don't know how to introduce uh, our guest uh, for this edition. He has done so much uh, in a, uh, a career in entertainment that uh, that spans uh, well over 50 years without giving your age away. Johnny Young. Hey, how you doing, Tim? Good, thanks. Thank you for inviting me in. I mean, I've been looking forward to this chat. We've been I, building I, up to you, you see. Well, I, I, was, I was lying <laughs> in bed last night and thinking, you know, I wonder... I wonder how you put everything that's happened to me in, I know. My, in my life in, into an hour because I could talk to you about being in London in 1967 with the Bee Gees and, and we could talk that, about that for that, an hour. That is you on know? my list, Johnny. It is on my list. Oh, good for you. But I, look, I've got to say, I, um, I sort of came to know you uh, probably towards, uh, I was growing up probably towards the, the tail end of your young talent time. Well, it started so that, in 71. They, they, yeah. In, in 1971, we started with some terrific kids, mm. uh, Jamie Redfern, Deborah Byrne, uh, Jane Scarley, Philip Gould. You know, it was just a, an, an amazing impact yeah. because Saturday nights on the telly was footy. Yep. Everybody was watching the footy and Channel 10 came to us. We were producing some other television, teen television on Saturday mornings on Channel 10 and they said, can you... You know, can you give us something that we can put up against the football that's not going to cost much? Yeah. You know, just cheap. We can use some sets out of the prop bay and put it all together, but do it with kids. Well, I grew up with the Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. And, you know, you're a lot younger than me, but to us that was every afternoon, 4.30, you'd sit Mm. down in front of the telly. Annette Funicello, who was one of the Mickey Mouse Club kids, was the first – a girl that I recognised that was a girl. Mm. You know, I mean, she was the mm. only one in the Mickey Mouse Club that had a figure, you know. <laughs> and and uh, she was gorgeous and everybody fell in love with all those uh, yeah. kids. And and so I loved that feeling. Yeah. So when the opportunity came all those years later and they were looking for this cheap program to put up against the football, yeah. I remembered what I felt when I watched the Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. How I related to the kids, you know, and that, and that feeling, the feeling of family and all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, I put all those ingredients together and I found some terrific young people. Uh, the week before we and, went... And launched the, the, the careers that, uh, that are still going strong now. Well, it sort of launched itself. Mm. You know, we had terrific kids with talent, but nobody'd seen Young Talent Time, and all we had was one ad in the TV week that said, "You know, uh, Saturday night, 
Johnny Young and some fine talented children present a music program. That's all it said. The week before we were on air for the first time, the station rated a three in the time slot they put us in. The week, the first week we were on, sight unseen, a nineteen. Extraordinary. Extraordinary, and it stayed like that. We we had a thirteen week contract that got extended after four weeks to a four-year contract, you know. It just – so Young Talent Time was the right thing at the right time. Everybody wanted it and everybody loved it. And Johnny and the kids was perfect, you know. And you and you borrowed from that uh, from 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 your inspiration that show growing up. Um, oh, the Mickey Mouse the, Club. The Mickey Mouse Club. You, the, that that idea of bringing the family together for the final sing along to finish the show. Well, it was lucky for me, Tim, that I had that experience with yeah. the Mickey Mouse Club because one of the key ingredients. It was a Beatles song. If I that's right, all my right. loving. Yeah. Yeah. Close your eyes and I'll teach you. I'll teach it to you, and we can sing it together at the end of the Maybe show. Maybe we'll finish this show. <laughs> <laughs> but it was look. No, it was absolutely. It was fantastic time and we, we all felt so proud of it and at the end of the Mickey Mouse Club Jimmy and the kids yep. uh, would, would would sit around the high set and uh, the, the song went now it's time to say goodbye to all our family M-I-C see you real soon K-E-Y why because we like you M-O-U-S-C that was the end of the Mickey Mouse yeah. Club which had that feeling what that I got time. with all my loving you yeah. know uh, family getting together, saying mm. goodbye, see you next week. Mm. And people used to watch the show. I know a lot of the listeners, they're going to ring in a minute. Yeah, I did that. You know, they'd watch the show just for that ending. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we were there for 18 years, Tim. 18 years. It's a long run. Yeah. It's actually, run. we claim rightfully so that we're the lo- we were the longest running non-stop variety program in Australian television. Is that right? Well, because Daryl Summers, my mate, he, you know, hey, hey, it's Saturday and us, we were sort of, you know, a bit of competition Competing over the years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mates too. Yeah. We're always mates. Yep. Uh, uh, Daryl's a terrific fella. And, um, you know, he, 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 had, uh, he had his following and we had our following and it was just a very, very special thing that mm. uh, Young Talent Time sort of fell into place. Mm. I didn't mm. have to push it, you know, because mm. I'm not a pusher. No. Just have a good time. You know? But your presence on stage seemed to come so naturally to you. And, and I must say, in doing my research on you, I, uh, it's such a beautiful story. Uh, your first performance, if you can call it that, at the age of two. Yes. Uh, in your native Holland. Do you want me to tell, tell you me about, about that? Tell okay. us about that. Well, um, you know, the, it was post-war, just yeah, after the and, war. And they, I, the Dutch suffered terribly, didn't they? I was World conceived so in 1946. Yeah, you know, so uh, the war was just being cleaned up, really, mm. in 1946. So Rot- Rotterdam, you Rotterdam, the centre of a lot mm. of stuff. Dad was a soldier. He fought hard in the war. Had a miserable time, and so after when the war was over, and Dad had been taken away by the Germans. Uh, to slave labour camp because he was a very talented man with the he could weld and do all yep. those sorts of things you know so they took him away and uh, when he finally came back like so many brave soldiers that we're only starting to realise now he had post traumatic stress yeah. syndrome he saw stuff he could never talk to me about you mm. know and so he 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 was unhappy and there was a lot of unhappiness in my life 
Um, your mum and dad found it hard to get along after mm. the misery. Now, remember, you look at, you know, a lot of people listening now who are my age, you know, late 60s, early 70s, will look at those times and look at their, the parents and what they went through. Yep. You know, my mum was born in the First World War, lived through the Great Depression, then had to live through five years of, uh, uh, of Nazi occupation uh, with people being shot down the street corner every night, watching mothers cart their daughters who had just tried to steal a wheelbarrow full of coal. Uh, the, the daughter had to wheel the mother back in the wheelbarrow dead because they shot her for trying to steal. My mother lived with that, watched yeah. all that stuff. So her and dad had problems after the, after the war. Dad went away to the army because he, you know, he got army. He felt safe in the army. Mm. He was a sergeant. He was good. He was strong. He was a boxer. He was a man's mm. man, you know, and uh, and a wonderful man. I admired him very much. But uh, he found it hard to adjust after mm. the war. So he went to Indonesia for a couple of years and complicated life. Mm. It complicated life. And um, I, I was born out of that complication. Let me put mm. it that way. And, uh, you know, I had a beautiful mother and a, and, and a terrific dad, but um, they had suffered too mm. much. Mm. And we as kids suffered. So dad did the terrific thing. He said, 10-pound migrants, we're going to Australia, you know. Before I, you tell us about that, tell us about when you had to perform for your neighbour at the age of two. Well, that's sort of part of my, my Tim. That's sort of part of my show business career, you know. Yeah. Because well, that's uh, this is see, the, the first performance that you uh, well that was perhaps recognised. But you learn some things. Yeah. You see, kids are a lot smarter than parents. They notice yeah. and feel a lot yeah. more. And I was feeling all this tension mm. in my family, mm. so I escaped to music. Mum used to have a big radio, one of those big ones with a big wooden yeah. thing around Beautiful. the outside. And uh, you know, if she was doing the vacuuming, I'd be lying on the floor and listening to the music and mum who who was a singer she loved to sing in choirs uh, her and I would sing the songs of the day you know oh my papa to me he was so wonderful uh, that was, uh, Eddie Fisher you know the, um, some wonderful songs that are yep. still a huge part of my yep. of my soul really so that's what I shared with my mother that's how we lifted ourselves out of things so I, I loved music my head was yep. full of music so when I was two, uh, I walked past the next door neighbour who had ch- chooks in the backyard and he was feeding the chooks and, and he said, if you'd like one, I'll give you a chook. You can give to mum and dad because there wasn't much food around, you know, it was still rationed and stuff, but you've got to sing me a song because I was always happy Johnny in the middle of this darkness. You know, I learned yeah. to be happy Johnny before I could talk, I think. Johnny De Jong. Yeah, that's it, well, as, which as means you young, were. Johnny yes. Young, you know. Yes. And uh, I'm proud of that name because mm. it suits me. Mm. I have an, a young character. Anyway, so I sang this song. Uh, hey, Barbariba, hey, Barbariba. Oh, yeah, it was a hit at the time. <laughs> and I was, you know, I was two, probably couldn't even complete the words. But I got the chook. Yeah. And I took it home. It was my first paid performance and dad made the point because he lived in this world of moral yep. correctness you know and he he's he said to me uh, i'm so proud of you this is your first contribution to the family's welfare oh there you go and i was too did, did you eat the chook or did you the following day no yeah. no i watched my dad killed the chook he didn't let me see that uh, but it, it wouldn't have freaked me anyway because i was so happy they were happy with me yeah you know, that's the whole yep. background to being an entertainer. Mm. 
is basically the reason why we do it is because we want to be loved, mm. you know, mm. acceptance. Mm. And I was born into a situation where acceptance for me was a little bit hard to find because I was a, you know, I was an accident that happened mm. in the family and I shouldn't mm. have been there. So, uh, you know, I had to justify my existence really. <laughs> so, so my, you know, d- dad killed the chook, mum yep. killed the uh, uh, plucked the, she was sitting on our little balcony plucking the chook and on the Sunday, uh, we used to have Sunday lunch together, big pot with the chook in the middle, and and I got acknowledged as uh, by Dad as, as having made a contribution to the welfare of the family. The start then, of a of a very long career in uh, in, in contribution, Johnny. Tim, it never stopped. No, and it's still going. Because my next job after that first paid job at age two was selling newspapers in Beaufort Street, uh, on the corner of Beaufort and and Newcastle Street, at age six. (laughs) I can tell you that story. Have you got time to hear this story? We have, Johnny. We do need to head to a break. For the moment. Listen, why don't you take but a break right and pay some the bills? Break. Let's Yeah, exactly. Get the bills paid. We'll keep people in suspense. Johnny Young is my guest. Uh, you're listening to WA's Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. More about selling newspapers. And then I want to ask you about the Bee Gees. That's coming up. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day. Generations of excellence since 1888. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest for this edition of Inspiring Stories is the one and only Johnny Young. Johnny, uh, we've got an incredible career to get through here. Yep. Uh, so far, you're at age two. You've just yep. won it. You... <laughs> we've got I a long just way to go. myself but my first just, pay packet. Your which first, was first pay trip. packet, a, a, a feathered uh, pay packet it was, <laughs> that ended up dinner. Um, and then uh, as a toddler, yep. family moves here, you settle in, in Calamunda. No, we first settled in West Perth in Munger West Street. West Perth, right? In, okay. in Munger Street, um, which. It, but you grew the, up in Calamunda, right? Or oh, those, yeah, well, some of those yeah, years. My, three places I grew up. One yep. was Subiaco. I was yep. a Subi boy. I went to school at Subi State School and went to yep. Perth Modern School. So Subi's a big hometown for me. Calamunda was when Dad bought the orchard and we moved up there, right. which was when uh, in my early teens. Yep, and it was difficult because uh, you know I had to meet him to get home because we lived you know at the back uh, of Calamunda in the book. That's, we had that's, that's my acres. part of the world up there. That's, uh, that's, that's a wonderful. long bus trip. I loved it, and um, of course in 1966 I went to. Uh, Victoria to start my that part of my career. Yes, but uh, being here, I mean, it was look. It's all influenced, and I and I think for for parents and grandparents listening, your your children are affected far more by by the by the atmosphere and the the things you feel rather than the things you say. Mm. You know, mm. tension is can be in the air. I I never got hit. You know, dad, dad never hit uh, hit me or anything like that, but I felt the tension in the house all the time, yep. and that's why I escaped into music mm. uh, because that got me, lifted me out of that, mm. and it's done that for the rest of my life. But also, dad was a you know he was really into because he'd lived through the Great Depression. If you're in a family, you got to contribute to it, as I did with the Chook when I was two. <laughs> but then when I was six, I got a job uh, in. Um, Beaufort Street, uh, just opposite the park there, there was a pub and I stood outside the pub. Dad used to come in and have one beer every night and I'd give him a paper for nothing. He loved that. Yeah. My son, the paper boy, you know, standing yeah. on the corner. Anyway, I earned six or seven shillings a week and I'd take that home to mum 
And that was my contribution to the family. And she'd give me two shillings pocket money. Yeah. And with my two shillings pocket money on Saturday morning, I'd go into town. First of all, I'd go at 11 o'clock to 6KY to Rumpus Room with Uncle Lionel Lewis, who used to do breakfast on 6KY. Yeah. You know, it was just a, a wonderful time. Yeah. Uh, and especially for me because they, the kids would get together in the uh, 6KY studios and we'd sing, we are the kids of Rumpus Room, hear us sing and hear us boom. Uncle Lionel's in good voice, Auntie Freddie plays our choice. Gibson Sweets and Cotties Galore makes us yell for more, more, more. Rumpus Room is on its way. Rumpus Room, hip, hip, hooray. Ah! <laughs> it was fantastic atmosphere and your, we did get free cottage soft Your drinks. memories are still with you, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it was such an important part of my life because yeah. the next step, was my first real public performance. You know, the Chook was a nice yeah. idea, but um, and I have pride in that. But there I was at 11 and I was sitting in the front row with Uncle Lionel. Auntie Freddie played the piano. She, she sat in the corner with a fag hanging out of her mouth for the whole hour because there was no smoking issues in those days. So for the whole kiddies program on the radio, Auntie Freddie was playing the piano. Somebody listening will ring in, Tim, and, and tell you what ha- happened I'm to sure. Auntie Freddie. She was fantastic. You might have to hang around to take these calls, Johnny. Yeah, so I, look, I had a fantastic time. Uh, um, just going along there and singing along and then one yep. day Lionel Lewis said, Johnny, next week when you come, uh, I want you to dress up because you're going to sing a song all by yourself. Because he saw the enthusiasm in me, mm. you know. The, I'd sing with gusto. I knew every word. It was just fantastic. Mm. So the following week, mum made me a little white jacket and she put little sparkly things, of, you know, around the collar. So you've got to imagine me, Tim. This mm. is radio with pictures, right? Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm about uh, five foot. I hadn't taken off yet in size. I've got this white jacket on, a pair of shorts and a pair of sandals because that was, you know, that was what I wore to school. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we weren't a wealthy family. So, but mum made sure I had something glitz, yes. you know. Yep. So there I was, I, 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 uh, I was there, very excited, and uh, Lionel Lewis said, now, ladies and gentlemen, making his first appearance anywhere, this is, you know, young Johnny Young. And as uh, so I walked up to the microphone, I sang, Sugar in the morning, sugar in the evening, sugar at supper time. Be my little sugar and love me all the time. And uh, it was like every part of my being opened up. Yeah. I knew then. I was 11, yep. but I knew then uh, that's what I wanted to do. That was going to be your life. That was it. Yep. And I love communicating with people. I love having a yak. I love singing songs, you know, mm. uh, going out, listening to bands. My wife mm. and I go and see Boney M and I go off, you know, because I love Boney M. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. So music is uh, it's What everywhere. gets your heart pumping. Oh, absolutely, mm. yeah. And, and – you know, we reflected on Young Talent Time before, but that was by no means your first uh, foray into TV. Tell us about how your TV career started, and I particularly want to hear about the Bee Gees. Okay, well, I watched um, Channel 7 on the opening day. The very first thing that I saw on our television was the Cisco Kid. Yep. That was here, and, and I watched, and I, I was really into TV. I loved it because Mickey Mouse Club was one of the first yep. shows that was on every day, you know, so it was fantastic. So, you know, um, television was a big part of my life. Now, 
Just a brief, a brief history, seeing as we have short time. In 1961, I was 14 years old. Yeah. I'm 71 now. Uh, and when I was 14 years old, a, a, a lead singer with the band called the Nomads that were playing at the Fremantle Police, Police Boys Club had an accident. And so uh, I ran into the leader of the band who said to me, hey, can you learn 25 songs I'd, I'd, I'd never uh, been with the band, been a band singer before. I'd made a couple of appearances at the Embassy Ballroom at the Hi-Fi Club singing two or three songs, uh, but I, I'd never sung a whole night, you know, yep. with the band. So uh, Don Pryor uh, said, um, learn 25 songs by Friday, be at the Fremantle Police Boys Club, and, uh, you know, we'll let you sing the night because uh, Jim Muscat has had an accident. So there I was, my first night, invited all my friends. It was fantastic. And I knew every one of the songs, so I had nothing to learn, you know, because yep. I used to go to the dances and watch all the yeah. bands play. So that was it. I got the job, and mm. Jim Muscat never got his job back. And <laughs> <laughs> that was my Has first. Has he forgiven you? <laughs> uh, yeah, Jimmy's a good boy. <laughs> and uh, so that was it. Uh, I, I was, um, it was Johnny, Johnny Young and the Nomads. We sang all the great pre-Beatles, 1961. Yep. Now, I, ju- I just left school at 14 years old and I'd had a vocational guidance test and they told me at the vocational guidance test that I would make a great hairdresser. <laughs> wow. So I followed that lead and I started as apprentice to, uh, to Sam Rafishi, the number one hairdressing wow. salon here in, in WA, and he signed me up for an apprenticeship because I'm a creative beast. You see, yeah. There's no difference. You know, you've got to be creative to cut people's hair yeah. just as you have to be creative to <laughs> sing songs, you know. So I, I liked it, except I'd got this job with the band. Yeah. And the worst day in hairdressing is Saturday morning. So we were working Friday night, rocking on until one o'clock in the morning, going down the beach with the girls and a, you know, half a bottle of and beer. There you are with a pair of scissors in your hand. And there I am the following morning at <laughs> seven o'clock with pin curls to put in for women and with the cape being too tight. And, you know, women are miserable in the hairdressers. They freak out about it. And so that was horrible for me. Yeah. Then Johnny O'Keefe came to town and said, hey, um, do you want to come on tour with me? You know, down mm. to manage up, Calgary and a few other things. Yep. And that was it. So I got my first national job with Johnny O'Keefe yeah. uh, at that time. And then uh, you were talking about my television career. Then I got uh, invited to appear on Club 17. Yep. Gary Meadows. No, not Gary Meadows. Gary Carvolth was the host of Club 17. He was being moved up to the nighttime show, so they offered me the job of hosting it. Mm. I was 17 years old. Mm. Three mm. years after I started my first professional singing yep. thing, I was hosting my own television show because it's no difference to me whether I'm talking and entertaining on television or on the radio because I don't want to be anything else but myself. Yeah. You know, I don't have to fake it. Yep. You and, know. and then the go show? Well, that was incredible because... Well, whilst I was doing Club 17, Channel 9, which had just started, was showing the go show hosted by Ian Turpey yep. against us and rating nothing. Mm. You know, uh, uh, Club 17 had 50% of the audience. We had everybody, Easy Beats, Peter, Paul and Mary, Bob Dylan. We had all the stars that came to town on a Saturday afternoon live on Channel 7. Fantastic. Channel 7 was innovative it is now, and it was already innovative then, doing a, a live 
teenagers television show with all the big stars from around the world on it. It was mm. fantastic. So I did that for a couple of years and then when I had my first hit record, which is a, was as a result of George Young and Stevie Wright, not Harry Vander, George Young and Stevie Wright writing a song for me called Step Back. I just cheekily, when they were guests on Club 17, went up to them and said, you know, hey, guys, you got a song. We've got a new studio here in Perth and I, I need some material. They played me Step Back. I recorded it two weeks later and within two months it was number one around Australia. Yeah. Recorded here. You know, it all happened. It was just yep. fantastic time. So I was doing Club 17 but then I had to go to Melbourne to um, uh, promote my record and I appeared on the Go Show. And Ian Turpey was leaving, so they said, hey, this young boy from this West Australia, you. he's got experience, you know, because it's hard to host the show because you've got to stay yeah. calm and focused. Yeah. It's really freaky having a camera in your face. Mm. Do you want to take a break and pay some bills? Let's do that. And I, and I need to get you to tell us about the Bee Gees because many people say that you are responsible for putting the Bee Gees on the map. You know, well, that's not true. That Mo- story. Molly Meldrum could take that claim. He does with everybody <laughs> <No>. else. <laughs> true enough. Uh, this I is love inspiring Molly. Stories. I've got to tell you a Molly story. Yeah, please that's do. inspiring. Please do. You might have to keep it brief, though. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Johnny, is, uh, Johnny Young is our special guest on this edition of Inspiring Stories, a man with many, many stories to tell. We're going to hear some more uh, right after a break here on 882-6PR. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. Welcome back. Johnny Young is our special guest in this edition of Inspiring Stories. Johnny, I know you want to... uh uh, leave the, uh, the the glory and the fame here to your friend uh, Molly Meldrum here with regards to the Bee Gees. But yes. I understand uh, you uh, almost single handedly got them onto your show, the Go Show, and really yes. that was the that was the start of them. You know, the thing that made the Bee Gees a worldwide phenomenon was their incredible songwriting ability, and I'd recognised it here in Australia. We were up in Brisbane. I was uh, I was doing some concerts with the Bee Gees on the same bill mm. uh, up in uh, Brisbane, and uh, I, Barry Gibb was looking very unhappy after the show. And I said, Barry, are you okay? Is something wrong with the show? He said, no. He said, I've got a recording date in the studio in Sydney tomorrow, and I've got to I've got to leave here now because I've got a nine hour drive to get there. Yeah. So I was doing all right. You know, I had my own television show and I was making some bucks and I'm not a money person. I don't care too much about money. You know, the the only thing about money is having some, in my opinion, apart from that. I'm yeah. not into accumulating wealth. But uh, I saw that Barry was in trouble. I said, mate, write me a song and I'll fly you down to Sydney with me mm. on the plane. You won't have mm. to drive at all. Oh, fantastic. So off we went. You know, we could do it the following morning. He didn't have to leave. He could have a night's sleep. Following morning, we met at the airport. Uh, We flew to Sydney. Yep. Um, um, And uh, I had a tape recorder in my hotel room. So we called by my hotel room and he sat and he wrote me this beautiful song called Lady. I'll be so lonely without you. It's a shame you can't play music because this is a very interesting talk show. But, but, um, you know, 
the music is amazing. And he wrote me that song for me, especially for me, as a gift for flying him down. Beautiful. And I saw him many years. I saw them over the years many Mm. times. And I lived with them in in London, London, but I'm talking about uh, 80s and 90s. Um, And, you know, I I saw him and I said, Barry, you remember that song you wrote for me? And he said, you're the only person in the world that's ever recorded it. And he sang me a whole verse and the chorus was still in his head. Mm. And he's written a thousand songs, Mm. you know, so it was incredible. So the, while the Bee Gees were here in Australia, I guess the thing that I knew, and Molly Meldrum did too, that the Bee Gees were very special. Yeah. But they were so identified with Bandstand, yeah. and which was middle of the road, M.O.R., television as opposed to popular music television that, uh, you know, you needed to get yep. in order to sell records. Mm. And they tried and tried and had no luck. Mm. And then they they recorded Spicks and Specs and we loved it. And mm. we decided it's time to support the Bee Gees. Mm. So I spoke to my producers, uh, Dennis Smith and Julian Jover of The Go Show, and I said, can you bring those boys down from Sydney? Because I think this is going to be a number one record. Molly felt the same, but I was in a position because, you know, it was my show, the television show to say, and and the boys appreciated it. I made a real big fuss of them. That we had a BG special where they sang two or three songs. It was just wonderful. Yeah. And, and um, then when they went to England, they went by boat, and when they were halfway back to England, they got the news that Spicks and Specs had gone to number one in Australia. So they couldn't achieve it while they were here. As soon as they left, they went to number one. Beautiful. So when I got to England, just to tie up that part of the story just quickly, and I rang Barry, I said, I'm in town. He said, come stay at my place here, mm. Maureen. Uh, we're living in, in uh, the heart of London. It mm. was handy for me. He had a three-story apartment, and um, he had one big room right on the third floor that was just one big room, and he said, you can use that for a while. Uh, at the head of the bed was a big um speaker box from a from a guitar amp that had a union jack on it that was at the top of my bed right now can you associate the union jack with the speaker box do you know who that might have been not sure Pete Townsend from The Who of course. had been living in that room. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. And that was his speaker box with the union jack which which was The Who's sign. Yeah. So I was sleeping in you know, wow. the Who's bedroom. It was wonderful. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the boys uh, booked the studio, yep. paid for it, yep. did my backing for yep. uh, Craze, Finton Kirk, which yep. was a BG song, and I had a fantastic time yep. trying to uh, yep. promote it. We yep. did very well in some areas and whatever, but I will never forget, as long yep. as I live, yep. uh, the generosity and the kindness and the Australian spirit that the mm. Bee Gees took with them over mm. there. Because mm. if you're in England and America, it's dog-eat-dog, dog, mm. whereas we still love our own, you know, mm. and take care of them, as the Bee Gees had. Mm. Cheryl Gray, who used to tour with us there too, became Samantha Sang with uh, that beautiful emotion song, all paid for and done by Barry Gibb. Mm. You know, she didn't have to put a hand in the pocket for anything. Mm. And uh, they wrote and recorded songs. Uh, um, uh, what's his, uh, Morris Gibb. He produced a song for a, 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 a band called Tin Tin, Toast and Marmalade for Tea. Very Bee Gees. Mm. It was lovely. It went to number one. Mm. The Bee Gees wanted to give back to Australia because mm. they genuinely believed mm. that the, 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 the experiences they had in Australia doing all that stuff that they were laid doing the laid for the foundation yeah. for their immense yeah. creativity. You're being very humble, though, Johnny. You're talking about everyone else's successes, mm. but, you know, you were a hit machine for a, uh, a period there, weren't you? If you weren't performing 
your own number ones you were writing or helping to write. Yeah. Um, your own, it's easy to get an and, and ego. Look, and, and, and look, he, the real thing is, I is know, probably the song that people know you best for. Am I right? Well, it is. It, it's easy to get an ego in show business because people do pat you and on the back do. when you have success <laughs> and they ignore you when you don't have success. Do you know what I mean? That's the unfortunate part of show business is that 90% of people who are in show business are unemployed. Yep. So I was one of the 10% actually making a living out of being an entertainer and I loved it. And for me, the the whole thing about about fame I had nothing to do with it. For me, I, I always tried to live by the principles that my father taught me, which was a job worth doing is worth doing well. Simple. But, you know, he used to drill it into me. Always give 100% no matter where the, what you're doing, even if you're cleaning the toilet. Mm. You know, give 100%. Stay in the moment, give 100%. He was a wise man. He was lovely. So, you know, there I was. Um, doing my television shows uh, in, in all parts of Australia. Bee Gees were my friends. Um, and I knew nothing about songwriting because the Easy Beats had written my first hit. Uh, so when I was in, in uh, London, I just watched Barry. Yep. Watched him, learnt, you know, asked him questions. I was there when he wrote the song Words. You know, it's only words. He hadn't even called it words yet. But to watch him put it together and he'd yep. say things to me like, um, there are no rules in songwriting. Yep. So you get taught if you go to songwriting school that you, you do a couple of verses, then you do a chorus, then you have a musical middle eight, and then you do another verse, another couple of choruses, mm. and that's the end of the song. Mm. Barry said, nonsense. There are no rules. Just do all choruses if you like, or don't do a chorus at all, because you get songs, and Barry mm. used the example of Roy Orbison mm. with me. He said... Who uh, you... Played alongside? I did. I toured mm. with him. Yeah, mm. it was wonderful to me. That's another story. But, oh, and we a could beautiful spend a whole story. hour talking about that. We could. It was wonderful. But, you know, but, uh, Barry uh, said to me, uh, there are no rules. Just express what you want yep. and allow your imagination to flow. Because he never, he was always walking around the house and I'd, I'd hear him going, <laughs> all that sort of stuff, you know. And I thought, what, how could that? And then he, because he was just testing different, you know, bits and pieces. It's a wonderful story, yeah. songwriting. Yep. The reason why I say ego and, and fame, when I look at how hard the Bee Gees yeah. worked, yep. when, I, when I read and, and look at how hard the Beatles worked to achieve what they achieved, mm. um, my little humble contri- contribution, mm. you know, I was a lucky kid. That's all I can tell you. Well, you've made the most of it, Johnny. We're going to hear more of your stories right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. And in this edition, the inspiring story of Johnny Young. Johnny, uh, 18 years of young, young talent time, yeah. an, an extraordinary run. Yeah. But what followed after that? Um, More you, adventures. You can put it in your own words, okay. but a, a turbulent time to say the very least. Oh, listen, I had turbulent times all through my career. You know, as I mentioned earlier in our chat, it was um, 90% of people who were in show business were unemployed or partly employed. Mm. You know, you get a gig once a month or something and pick up, but you couldn't live off it. Mm. But I was determined I wanted to live off it. And I worked hard, applied my, my father's principles and also recognize the fact that, and this was part of what dad taught me too, 
I'm a lucky boy because I got opportunities. Mm. But lots of people get opportunities. Mm. The key with opportunities is that you've got to recognise them when they're there. Yeah. Now, for me, I was always very aware of what's yeah. going on just because of the dynamics of my yeah. my home life. Uh, you know, I had to be careful that I didn't tread on anybody's toes because it caused, you know, nastiness, which I hated. Yeah. I hated bad feelings and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, there I was. in. Where, what were we talking about? Sorry, I just met. Just a post-young talent time. No, okay. Right? So it was a, it, it, particularly a, a, a year period where I, I believe you, you, you lost your parents. Um, and then in the years after that, you also lost your son, Craig. Yep. Uh, you lost a bunch of money. Uh, yep. And, you know, there were a couple of years in there, you basically disappeared off to your farm. Yeah. Look, I mean, that's a lot of big episodes in there. Everybody felt, including me, that Young Talent Time would go forever. Yeah. It was 18 years. It was still going on. We had our fans. We'd, we'd grown a fan base. Mm. You know, it's like this wonderful radio station, 6PR is an institution, Young Talent Time was a weekend institution with families with kids or grandchildren. Mm. That's what it was, and it was there, and it should have gone forever, except in 1987 we had a recession, Mm. and the whole thing, you know, turned upside down. Mm. Now, I'm not a businessman, I never have been, I'm a creative thinker, I do things creatively, and what I wanted more than anything else was to have a studio where I could produce my own programming. Yeah. So we'd been going for 18 years, thought it would last forever, and I wound up with uh, um, enough money to build my own studio if I borrowed a lot of money from the bank. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I did that, 1987, with the Great Recession, 26% penalty interest rates because all of the work that we were putting into our studio, commercial work, making ads and do that sort of stuff, all fell in a heap. Yeah. So I lost a lot. So 1989, that's just after the, the, the recession had taken hold, um, I lost my marriage. Yep. Uh, it couldn't survive. It was just too tough. You know, we'd yep. lived like kings and queens for years and I'd, I'd screwed it up. I'd put all of our family mm. money into building this studio because my ego got the better of me. Not true. It was the obvious thing for me to do. Reg Grundy had done it. Um, Crawfords had done it. I, wa- I wanted that kind of business. Yeah. I produced two movies for television. Yeah. I understood the business pretty well, but you can't fight a recession. Yeah. You have to have, like Paul Keating told us. It was, uh, it, it was a big one. <laughs> so I lost my wife. In the first half of 1989, I lost yeah. both my mum and dad. Yeah. And uh, so that was a tough year. But, you know, I don't want people listening to say, oh, you know, look, I had several tough periods during yeah. my growing up before I even became what you would call famous. I had some big disappointments. I put a lot of money into making a couple of movies for television because yeah. I wanted to make a, an ongoing drama television series. I was trying to learn about television, learn about script writing, all that sort of stuff. I did a year at university to, uh, learning about script writing and I, as my dad had told me something worth doing is worth doing well mm. i did all of that it all fell in a heap and mm. i wound up with nothing mm. and i was so arrogant and proud that i didn't want to go bankrupt so i never did mm. uh, i closed down the companies any people that were owed money i worked very hard for the next 10 years to to pay off as much of the debts as i yep. could so that was a tough time yep. but boy tim what did i learn you know everything meditation uh, Every exactly, you know, that, and that's a, such a big story too. Mm. 
I mean, now most people are doing some form of yoga or meditation or just sitting quietly. I'm sure you do before you do a program like this, find a little peace inside you, you know, because, you know, the kingdom of heaven lies within you. It's not over the other side of the road, you know. How important was uh, what you learnt through uh, meditation, which I understand you took on around about that time of your life, um, for when you had you know, the, the huge trauma of losing, losing your son, Craig. Okay. Um, you, you know, I'd like, I, I want to talk about my, uh, about my son, mm. uh, but um, meditation, it, it's very simple. I, I had everything. I had a house with a swimming pool, a tennis court, money in the bank, a terrific wife, a couple of wonderful kids. Um, my show was number one, and occasionally I'd be sitting at home feeling a sadness, a deep sadness that I just couldn't, you know, deal with. And I thought, okay, well, it's probably leftovers from my childhood or something like that. I did a bit of therapy, tried to learn a bit about what was going on. And then I met this guy, an Indian uh, guy called uh, Prem Rawat, who uh, said something very simple to me. And he, I think he actually quoted the Bible where on the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus said, if you look for the kingdom of heaven in the sky, the birds will be there before you. Mm. If you look for the kingdom of heaven in the ocean, the fish will be there before you. Behold, and this is what he says in the Sermon of the Mount, the kingdom of heaven lies within you. And that turn of direction from... You know, I couldn't find it in Christianity because they weren't saying, hey, listen, look there. They were saying, uh, give us your money and be a good person so you'll go to heaven when you die. And my, my wife's a Catholic. I often go to Polish Mass with her because she's Polish, and I enjoy the sincerity of the people. You know, I'm not mm. anti-religion mm. at all. But for me, that that indication of the kingdom of heaven lies within you completely redirected my life because yeah. I'd been looking for that feeling of completion in success in show business. I had the number one show and it wasn't giving it to me. Yeah. And then when he turned me around, I sat on my bum for a couple of hours and just allowed the inner part of me to come to peace. And then recognizing that that peace, which I was experiencing is who I really am. Mm. And so once I got that, mm. I now, I, I, I don't put any, you know, store on fame or financial, you know, I'm, I couldn't possibly be Twiggy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, just, I wouldn't know how to handle it. <laughs> but for me, it's all about my family, yep. my kids. And, of course, at the end of that, three years ago, I lost my son. Yeah. And that was another spiritual awakening for me, mm. which if you've got an hour one day, we can talk about meditation if you mm. like, Timmy. We are. Uh... <laughs> That's another hour right there. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, Notice we've, I called you Timmy. Yes, you It's did. like Danny and Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> it's Timmy. Um, look, we've, we're seconds away from yeah. having to wrap this up. Just hey, it's been us, such fun, Really, Tim. really You're quickly, a ripper. Johnny. Thank you. What you oh, look, it's been a pleasure having you in, Johnny. Just yeah. what are you doing now? Just give us a few seconds. What are you doing now? Okay, I do a radio program at 2CH yep. in Sydney, which I do from my own studio. Right. And that's a wonderful experience for me. I do five yep. hours every night. Uh, I still have a band. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Meriden, had a great rock and roll dance up there. So we go in the country where the people can still rock and roll. So people can still see you. And oh, you. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And of course, I'm producing the Karen Carpenter show yes. with Narelle Bell, yep. which has been a huge success. Mm. So no, I'm in there. I'm Good in there, you. buddy. And I'm listen, I'm even on this 
I'm honoured to you, have and been a part of this you're program. A part of this program as well. It's been a pleasure having you, Johnny. Thank you very much. You're uh, a joy. Thank you. This edition of uh, Inspiring Stories again brought to you by Baron O'Day here on 882 6PR. We'll have another WA Inspiring Story for you next time. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.